Morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and it's Thursday, September 21st. On this date in 1989, Hurricane Hugo crashed into Charleston. Do you remember where you were? Legendary Live 5 weatherman Charlie Hall stayed on the air to cover the approaching storm until the station had to shut down its downtown studio and evacuate the area. We continued broadcasting and covered the immediate recovery from our transmitter site. Hugo was blamed for 56 deaths in the Caribbean and 29 deaths in the U.S. And here's your Thursday morning trivia. On this date in 1948, the man who'd be known as Mr. Television and Uncle Milty, Milton Berle, made his debut on NBC as the permanent host of a famous program sponsored by an oil company. Can you name the show? I'll have that answer coming up. But first, it's time to check in on your first alert forecast. All right, good Thursday morning to you. Grab the umbrellas as you head out the door this morning. Some scattered showers are going to be a possibility throughout the day. Not everybody's going to get rain, but some spots will be picked on. We already had some very heavy rain in some spots early this morning. Now, high temperatures this afternoon under mostly cloudy sky will be around 80 degrees. Little breeze picks up today. More of a breeze tomorrow as a coastal storm develops offshore, and that's going to track northward, so it's not going to come into our area. We may see a breezy stretch Friday into Friday night along with a couple of showers, but not a whole lot of rain expected. By the time we get into Saturday, the clouds start to clear out, and we're looking pretty dry for this weekend. 80 on Saturday for the first day of fall, 84 on Sunday. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast, powered by the Low Country's news leader, Life 5 News. Now, let's get to your morning headlines. Well, this just into our newsroom. We're learning about a crash in Colleton County involving a U-Haul moving truck in a mobile home that was being transported. Take a look at these images. This happened Tuesday afternoon. You can see where the U-Haul smashed into the side of that mobile home, ripping it open and sending debris across I-95. A Colleton County fire. They say the mobile home had pulled over to the side of the road after experiencing a mechanical problem, and the driver was actually under it trying to fix that problem when the fully loaded U-Haul crashed into it. The impact ripped approximately two feet of the mobile home and tore the side off of the U-Haul and sent debris in both from both of those vehicles across all lanes of the interstate, which ended up damaging several other cars. However, amazingly, no one was injured. Now, the Highway Patrol is investigating. That's the latest here from our First Alert desk. Thanks, Nick. Well, happening today, disbarred Lowcountry attorney and convicted killer Alec Murdoch will be back in a federal courtroom to plead guilty to his alleged financial crimes. Murdoch is accused of stealing millions of dollars from his clients during his time as a lawyer. His attorney has filed a plea deal Tuesday. It's yet to be approved by a judge. Court documents show Murdoch is agreeing to plead guilty to 22 federal financial crimes, ranging from conspiracy to commit wire fraud, wire fraud, bank fraud, and money laundering. He's already serving two life sentences for the deaths of his wife and son. He'll also be back in court in November on more than 100 state financial charges. A federal judge has granted a motion to push back when a former Lowcountry banking CEO will have to report to prison. A second motion has given former Palmetto State Bank CEO Russell Lafitte another one-week extension. He was supposed to report to prison today, but U.S. District Judge Richard Gurgle moved his start date to September 28th. Lafitte was sentenced to 84 months behind bars. Prosecutors say he helped Alec Murdoch steal from clients through lawsuits that he won for them. A Charleston man will stay behind bars after he pleaded guilty to defrauding a nonprofit to acquire IP addresses. 
The U.S. Attorney's Office says Amir Golistan was sentenced to five years in federal prison, followed by two years of court-ordered supervision. Prosecutors say Golistan's company registered multiple IP addresses through the American Registry of Internet Numbers and then sold the rights to the additional IP addresses for $3 million. They say he created fake companies to cover up the fraud. Golistan was also ordered to pay more than $76,000 in restitution. The city of Charleston is gearing up for a community initiative that will have you rolling up your sleeves this weekend. The city will be hosting the Operation Neighborhood Cleanup event right in the heart of Johns Island. It's asking for you to lend a hand. Our Destiny Kennedy is live on Johns Island this morning in the Dunmovin neighborhood where that cleanup will take place. So, Destiny, what does the community need to know about this initiative? Good morning. Good morning, Katie and Shelby. Officials tell me that Operation Neighborhood is more than just a cleanup effort. It's a collaborative initiative, including various city departments. Those departments include Neighborhood Services, Keep Charleston Beautiful, Livability, Public Service, Charleston Fire Department, and the Mayor's Office. Each quarter, this program selects a neighborhood based on specific needs like litter, bulk trash, beautification, drainage, lighting, and more. For the Dunmovin Neighborhood Cleanup Day, city staff, residents, and dedicated volunteers will break up into groups and will perform tasks tailored to the neighborhood's unique requirements. The event is happening Saturday from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. here in the Dunmovin neighborhood on Johns Island. Volunteers are asked to meet up at the Allen Fleming Tennis Complex at 1619 Bruce Lane. The manager for Neighborhood Services explains how these cleanups foster community pride. There's instant gratification in picking up litter because you see the problem literally disappearing as you put it in your trash bag. Um... And it's, I mean, I think it helps people feel good about their neighborhood when it looks clean. When you put effort into something, um, then you feel pride in it. And we, the city staff, feel a lot of pride in the city that we serve. Participants are encouraged to RSVP to help organizers prepare. You can find that link by clicking this story at live5news.com. Reporting live on John's Island, Destiny Kennedy, Live 5 News. The Tri-County area is getting a new look at how Berkeley, Charleston, and Dorchester County high schoolers are doing in the classroom. Recent end-of-course examination program test results show how students are scoring in English, math, U.S. history, and biology. Both the Charleston County School District and Dorchester District 2 are beating the state's average scores in each of the four subjects. Meanwhile, Berkeley County School District test scores are below the state's average, but district officials say they have outperformed their own scores from last year in every subject. Bringing an early childhood learning center to James Island has been a possibility for the Charleston County School District for or, uh, more than a year now. And now the project is one step closer to becoming a reality. Life 5 Skylar Hill tells us more about the center's progress. Because of last month's meeting being canceled to Hurricane Adalia, the Charleston County School District came together last night to discuss the future of an early learning center here on James Island. We're proud to say that we've taken some input to make sure that we're meeting the needs uh, of the group, of the committee, I mean, of the community uh, here on James Island. Last night, members of the district presented two options for the community to choose from. Option one is the district's recommended option. This one includes a new facility on the James Island Middle School campus. It'll hold up to 370 children, ranging from infants to pre-K grade levels, and we'll also have a family development center. There is no kindergarten level in this option, though. 
And that's also really consolidating our resources to make sure every single child on District 3 gets the same experience. And so that's one of the reasons we um, recommended that. But if we end up with, if we end up with option two, we will make sure that both centers have the equal opportunity, equal access, and have the same programming. Option two would have two new annex buildings. One heads to James Allen Elementary School and the other heads to Stiles Point Elementary. These two buildings will combine to hold about 570 children in total, but will have no family development center. Members of the community also had the chance to express their concerns at last night's meeting. With the increase of adding infants, early childhood care, pre-K, and all of that, what you're going to do is make a, a, a mass congestion of a neighborhood that's already crammed where transportation is concerned and safety issues. DCSD plans on gathering all of the surveys that they gathered at last night's meeting and sending that to the Board of Trustees so they can decide on either option one or option two at next month's meeting. Reporting on James Island, I'm Skylar Hill, Live 5 News. The Charleston Area Regional Transportation Authority is looking to improve its bus routes in downtown Charleston. It comes as officials have seen an increase in ridership. CARTA plans to use $750,000 from the Federal Transit Administration to make its bus service on the peninsula more efficient. They're also looking into hours of service and bus frequency for the routes downtown. Chairman Mike Seeking says CARTA is considering an expansion to deal with the increase in ridership on their downtown buses. If we do expand service in terms of hours and frequency, clearly that comes at a cost, and we'll be prepared to do that based on demand. If the ridership is there, we want to bring buses to that ridership, and this report's going to really help us determine that. Carter says it's also working with the city of Charleston on its own transportation plan for the peninsula. Seeking says the goal is to make sure bus service is there for riders when they need it has designated September as Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Awareness Month. The goal is to educate the public about this 100% preventable condition and shed some light on the challenges that those with family members who are living with this disorder can face. Some of our state's agencies want to get the word out about prevention, and our Madeline Jess Koyak joins us live in Charleston with more on that. Good morning, Madeline. Good morning, FASD stands for Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. It's a group of conditions that causes medical, social, and behavioral problems for children and adults who have had prenatal alcohol exposure. This September, the state's Department of Social Services and the Department of Alcohol and Other Drug Abuse Services are teaming up to push its Don't Risk It campaign. The campaign aims to spread awareness about the potential harm that alcohol consumption during pregnancy can have on developing babies, but also show support for those who are affected by this condition. Similar to how autism can be identified on a spectrum, the same goes for several kinds and varying degrees of fetal alcohol disorders based on how the condition is affecting the person. Just a few of the signs and symptoms include hyperactivity, lack of concentration, abnormal physical features, delayed growth, and hearing and vision problems. Experts say there are a lot of misconceptions about fetal alcohol disorders and how much alcohol consumption really puts a pregnant person at risk. The parent does not have to, the mom does not have to be an alcoholic. Sometimes they will say, you know, I only had a couple of drinks this one occasion, had no idea I was pregnant, and then later on found out that my baby was impacted by FASD.
So one of the reasons we wanted to bring awareness was to prevention. Anyone of childbearing age, if you think you are pregnant or you might be trying to get pregnant, um, to think before you drink that even, you know, one or two drinks can be cause problems for a, for a developing baby um, and so can binge drinking. I also spoke with Kimberly Tissot, whose son she adopted as a baby was eventually diagnosed with FASC as he got older and started showing the signs. She says that there is still a long way to go in providing the appropriate accommodations to students with FASD. It's not really an identified disability within the school systems. And so that can be very challenging um, to get the correct services because a lot of times special education um, professionals have not really studied fetal alcohol. And the, the way that children with fetal alcohol learn and thrive in school is very different than um, a, um, a, a child without a disability. You can visit DontRiskItSC.com to get help and more resources for FASC. And you can also watch recorded information sessions on the topic as well. Those are linked on that website. Reporting live in downtown Charleston, Madeline Jaskowiak, Live 5 News. Some restaurant and bar owners in the Lowcountry say that rising liquor liability insurance rates are forcing them to close their doors. South Carolina ranks seventh worst in the United States for drunk driving, and the liquor liability insurance law was made to require venues with liquor licenses to buy at least $1 million in coverage. This law forces accountability in the case a customer is overserved. Local businesses are asking for changes to the coverage requirements while still holding businesses accountable. An attorney that we spoke with says legislators could further regulate the insurance industry in the state as a way to lower the rates. Fire and EMS stations in Dorchester County have a new way of being alerted when an emergency occurs, an automated 911 system. The system went live across the county yesterday. Both Berkeley and Charleston counties already had the system in place. It's called Purvis, and it gets data from dispatch and then simultaneously and automatically Dispatches to fire and EMS over multiple channels. Dorchester emergency management officials say the county paid between $680,000 and $700,000 for the technology. They say it was mostly paid for by bonds as part of the new emergency operations center and new consolidated dispatch center. Officials say the automated technology will lead to quicker response times. A noise ordinance that's been in place on Edisto Beach for several years now is sparking some conversations. Bands play at different restaurants and bars on the beach throughout the summer. And under that noise ordinance, outdoor live music is not allowed after Labor Day. A new petition calls to change it to no noise from 10 p.m. and 10 a.m. above 65 decibels and no noise at all within 30 feet of the beach and beachfront homes. Live music lovers say this will allow live music year-round and provide an opportunity for local businesses to make money. Some South Carolinians interested in high school sports believe the playing field isn't fair right now and changes could be coming from the state house. Last week, a committee met and heard from the commissioner of the South Carolina High School League. Yesterday, it was the public's turn to weigh in. Some South Carolinians say public charter schools have become too dominant and are forfeiting to protest. Several bills have already been filed, including ones that would create a new governing body for high school sports under the State Department of Education. There's no deadline for this committee to submit recommendations, but they hope to have some proposals ready when the new legislative session begins in January. Morning, y'all, is produced every weekday morning. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
and download the Live 5 News app for your mobile device. Get the latest news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.